This is the Dr. Tim Murphy Show, where you will learn how to tear down the mental barriers to success and health and build up a stronger you. In these podcasts, Dr. Tim Murphy offers you the tools for recovery and surviving and thriving after trauma. There is a pathway to healing, and he does this through faith and psychology. Dr. Tim Murphy, bringing healing to your heart, your mind, and your spirit. Welcome to the Dr. Tim Murphy Show, where we combine mental health and faith to build a better you. I'm excited today. I've got a great guest with me who is known around the country for being a great football player, but known to me as being a great friend. His name is John Kolb, former Pittsburgh Steeler. Four Super Bowl rings to his credit. He came to Pittsburgh at Oklahoma State University, played with the Steelers from 69 to 81, also coached the Steelers too, and that itself is good for several stories. Uh, he is regarded as one of the strongest men in the NFL and actually was involved in the strongest man in the world competitions. He protected Terry Bradshaw's blindside uh, and also uh, with running backs such as Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, John Fuqua. His fans, we are always, know, always known as Kolb's Cowboys uh, as it uh, came through. So, John, great to have you on today's show. Welcome to my show. Good morning. I thought you were going to make that introduction so long there wouldn't even be a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's so many other things to say about this, in particular the work that we've done together to help veterans yeah. and first responders. But let's um, – I want to start off with an, uh, the question about being an NFL player. Uh, you know, from the outside, the fans think, oh, this is wonderful. It's glorious. You make millions of dollars. Uh, People will fawn over you and tell you great things about all the, the wonderful things you've done. But when one leaves football, uh, it oftentimes is not so easy. It isn't as glorious. It isn't as glamorous. Uh, you've told me a number of times what happens to players when they leave the NFL. And I wonder if you could share with me some of that story that I think would be important for the listeners on this show where we talk about faith and, and psychology and, and uh, difficulties people have. Can you describe a little bit what it's like to be a professional athlete and then have to leave that world? Sure. I, um, when, if you read Tony Dungy's book, I thought it was really significant. Uh, he talks about that the suicide rate for former NFL players is 10 times the national average. And uh, I spent some, being a lineman, it took me some time, but I did. I spent some time thinking about that. And uh, as you know, the suicide rate, or every day, somewhere between 23 and 40 veterans take their own life. And we're not sure because sometimes it's, you don't know if it's a overdose or some, but anyway, if it's 23, it's still too high. What I spent some time really trying to get a grip on is the, the commonality between a football player and a, uh, and a, and a veteran, a soldier. And, uh, and I think, both of them, the, the thing, here's what I've come up with. Both of them have a mission. They have a purpose. Uh, and, they, and they have relationship around them. Uh, they're part of a team. And, and they feel integral to that. And uh, for a football player, you, you wanted to be a football player since you were in grade school. And, uh, and then you, you kind of went through the process of high school. And then you made it into college. You got drafted, and we're having the draft coming up, and that's a big day. But that's only the start. 
And and when I was playing statistically, the average career was 4.2 yard, uh, 4.2 years. Uh, today, the last stats I saw was 3.7. So you don't even get warmed up in this, and you're done. So the guys you see on TV in 3.7 years are gone. And 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 so they they haven't learned. They've spent their whole life trying to prepare for this, and all of a sudden it's done, and the relationships are gone, and the ability to kind of have a profession. I think sports are pure from the standpoint they're going. They they're not going to. They're going to put the team's going to put the best player on the field, regardless of whether what his views are, you know, or politics or anything, because you want to win. And, uh, and so you get back into the real world where those things go away. So I think all of that is just, there's such a contrast. And, and it's very difficult to, to, to make that adjustment, I think, whether you're a veteran or whether you're a football player, uh, when you've lost those relationships, lost that mission. And so what's my next mission? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, you, you would say that Chuck No would tell you you have to get on with your life's work. When you uh, saw your days as a player were transitioning out, what did you think your life's work was going to be? I, I tried three or four things, and uh, you know, um, because I wasn't sure. We were on a we were skiing one off season, and and uh, uh, with another couple, and and uh, he was a doctor. And so my wife's on the ski lift with his wife. And she says, well, what's John going to do when he's done playing? He's just a football player. And so Deborah could hardly speak the rest of the day. And that night she told me, and I think one of the best things, Tim, is, is I, I, I could have gotten mad, but I thought, you know what? Is that true? Right now it is true. And that prompted me to go to grad school. And so I, you know, I got started, got halfway through. Uh, while I was still playing and then uh, finished while I was coaching. And, uh, and so I think <laughs> sometimes somebody can say something and you can, uh, we can get upset about it or we can say, you know what, maybe that's true. Maybe I ought to figure out what is it that I can do. Brings back some humility into life. You've told me a story once about you were playing, actually you weren't playing in a game because you were injured and you know, you, I guess maybe you stayed up in the press box or something. And then what happened when you left the field and were leaving the stadium and how people reacted to you? Do you remember that? Yeah. And that was, Tim, that was really, uh, um, that really impacted me. Um, so I, I, I was blessed. I, I played 10 straight years, never had an injury, never missed a game, never missed a practice. And in the, I think second or third game of the season, we played in Buffalo and I broke my ankle. And so the, I missed the next week. So I did. I watched the game in the press box. And then after the game's over, you know, went down to the stadium. All the guys are there, you know, kind of patting themselves, you know, talking about the game. But I was not, I hadn't contributed. You know, I didn't have any, after a game, you've got some bumps and bruises. You always do. And that's kind of your badge of courage. I don't know. You know, it's, I didn't have any of that. And so then I, I went outside and uh, my wife was in the, in the locker or in the, the Steelers have a nice waiting room for the wives. And, and so then, you know, we talked a minute and I went outside now where all the people are, all the fans that don't leave the game. They, 
and they're patting me on the back and they're going, oh, great game, John. You played a great game. And I'm going, no, I didn't even play. And it, and that brought me back into reality that, you know, Pittsburgh fans are really good fans, but they didn't, you know, they're watching Franco and Terry. They didn't even notice I wasn't in the game. And, uh, and that was another, I guess, uh, eye opener, another, okay. Uh, what is really, well, you know, what is really important? How much, you know, how much do you really contribute? But they cheered you on anyways, uh, despite that. Your legend was there too. <laughs> I, another story I want you to tell, because we don't hear much about this. Everybody knows greatest play in football history is the Immaculate Reception. And you are known for, I think you and I computed it once, that of the thousands of plays you participated in, the number of times that the quarterback was actually sacked is... A few, less than 20, maybe a dozen or so. And it's it's a massive record, 90-plus percent, uh, maybe 99% successes you have. There was a play, the Immaculate Reception, where uh, someone got by you, but that had an effect upon Bradshaw. I want you to explain how that helped set up the Immaculate Reception. Yeah, I always, you know, we just lost Franco, who was the star of the Immaculate Reception, but I always had so much fun with him. Because I said, you know, I said, Franco, you know, they put your statue up at the airport, you know, getting on the uh, escalators. There you are. They got your statue and everything. But, you know, Franco, if I had uh, done a good job on that play, the macular reception would have never happened. And you don't even give me credit for letting my guy inside. Uh, but we were playing. It was uh, playing Oakland, as people know, and, and it was fourth and forever. So we had been ahead in the whole time in the game. Ken Stabler had run up the sideline. Our defensive end had lost contain and Craig had run up the sideline or Ken Stabler had run up the sideline. So now for the first time in the game, we're behind, which is like two minutes left. And uh, so we ran three plays and uh, three passes. They were incomplete. And so in the play, Terry calls the play that would be known as the Macklin Reception. And so you you know your opponent really well. And in all these years that I played uh, Oakland, it was 72, so it was my fourth year. But any, regardless, this guy had never taken an inside pass rush, never. And But, you know, what did he does, this, this is what defensive players live for. They have no responsibility except to sack the quarterback because we've got uh, 80 yards to go. He's not gonna, he's not gonna run a play up the middle. He's gonna throw the ball, and so my guy takes the inside pass rush. Didn't have to worry about contain, and he beats me enough inside. And if you watch the play, Terry has to, uh, he he goes to throw the ball, and then he he pulls up and then delays like a second, second and a half, and then throws the ball. So I always told everyone and Franco, Franco in practice, you never got downfield in time. So if I don't let my guy inside, then you're not, you know, you're not going to be the hero. So I did that on purpose so that you could get down. The <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I love that because it's one of those examples of where, you never know what's going to happen when someone makes a mistake, when something doesn't work out, because your plan would have been to block him. But if you blocked him, wouldn't have been enough time for Franco to make that play. And when we look at things that happened to us in life that it just didn't work out the way I planned it, it turned out 
it still worked out to be an incredible play and help the Steelers begin the dynasty over many years um, because of that missed block heard around the world, I guess, is <laughs> what it came yeah. down to. But I wanted people to yeah. hear that because you're a man of great optimism despite all that. And, and I want to talk then about shifting into things you do now. We work together in a program of yours that's called Adventures in Training with a Purpose, and you really push the point that fitness is essential as, I guess, continuing with what you do, what you did as a Steeler, it's, fitness is really an essential part. It's the frontline offense against depression and anxiety. Lots of research tells us that when people stay involved and fit, it really pushes back depression, oftentimes better than medication. But, but I want to know from you, your experience, what, what does this do to the brain and the body when, when you push people to stay fit and active? What does it do? Well, I think it's, to me, Tim, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, the man that wrote Luke in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, and he wrote Acts. He was a physician. Uh, and so uh, I don't know how many people know, but Luke was a physician. You know, we know who some guys were fishermen and some guys were tax collectors and stuff. But Luke was a physician. And so in Luke, in Acts 17:28. He, he writes this, he says in him, he's a Christian, you know, speaking of Christ, we live, we move, and we exist, or we have our being. Some is translated exist, have our being. So there's three poles here, I think, that lean on each other. And three poles can stand up. One is live, one is move, and one is exist. And I'm not sure, I never met Luke, he lived 2,000 years ago. But as I look at that and think about it, I do believe that he wrote that, that the three, they're intended to be together. And if you take move away, and now you've just got two poles leaning on each other, they're going to fall over. In him we live, that's one. That means not just I have a heartbeat. That means I have an abundant life and exist. Uh, but we can see that in, in COVID. What did we do? The, you know, we, uh, you know, opened the bars and closed the churches. Uh, we, we kept people from moving. And when you take movement away from people, go to a nursing home where they put people, you know, they feed them and they, uh, you know, they bathe them. And then they put them out in the hallway and let them sit, you know, and that's, I mean, go watch and, and see how well those people do. And so over and over again, other scriptures, I, another one I think that really says this, uh, and I always kind of, to me, it's kind of funny. I didn't know what the word sanctify was when I was a kid. Every time the pastor would say it, he shook. So I thought it was some kind of electrical word. You got to be sanctified. I didn't want to get sanctified. It hurt, it looks like. But in First Thessalonians 5.23, it says, And now may the God of peace himself sanctify, which really means to set you apart. And he says, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be complete at the, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So what's he got again? The spirit, the soul, and the body. And, and so we are made those three parts. You know, we have a body, but they're connected to the soul, which is, and I, I think of it this way, Tim, this is more in your field, but you and I are right now communicating on a soul-mind concept. When you pray, you're praying on a spiritual plane, but God also gave us a body 
that houses everything. And so when we let that third part go, that body part go, then those, those other ones, they, they begin to die. So now that's the faith part of it. But what we just now found out from, and I didn't even, I didn't even see this in, uh, when I was in grad school. When we looked at the neurological stuff, we just looked at, this is a dendrite, this is an axon, this is a nylon sheath, and we just kind of labeled stuff. But now what we, what they, you, you alluded to it a while ago, now what, there's all kinds of really good books. In fact, your book kind of, I think uh, the Christ cure speaks a little bit of that too. And, and that is that uh, there are biomarkers in the body. They have funny names like brain, BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, uh, and VEGF, uh, which is miracle goal for the brain. And so when we move, our brain produces this VEGF, and it kind of, have you ever tried to drive in the last couple of weeks? All the road crews are out there. You can't drive anywhere because the winter is over and the road crews are out. Well, VEGAF is road crew for the brain. It's, it's out there and it's, and it's repairing and rebuilding stuff. And what, what causes it? Moving. And it's pretty cool. I think, it, you know, you can move, you can go for a walk. There's, there's different ones that some of them are, are triggered more by aerobic work. Some of them are triggered more by what uh, the smart people call sensory integration. And all sensory integration means is I'm using my eyes. That's one sense. I'm using my inner ear. That's another sense. I'm using the proprioceptors. That's another sense. I'm using the right side and the left side of my brain, putting all that together. And, uh, and that's what happens when we move, and it creates healing. I just think that's pretty cool. That is exciting. And, I've heard you refer to that as brain on fire, that a workout isn't just sitting down at the dumb machines at the gym and you know, doing curls and then doing triceps, et cetera. But really doing the balance and the coordination is essential for that too, isn't it? It, it is. There was a study... I read this study years ago. They did uh, with 80-year-old people. They had them do a, a leg press machine, and their strength improved. Something is unbelievable, like 25%. These were 80-year-old people. But their balance and their cognition, uh, their balance got worse because nobody falls off a leg press machine. And so it was only doing the strength part. It wasn't doing the sensory integration part. So... That's why taking a walk in the woods where you're stepping over a log and you're turning and you're going uphill and you're looking at the woodpecker. We've got a woodpecker that's been staying behind our house and you're noticing all this stuff. And, and there was another study and I thought this one was cool. And they found that just doing uh, 30 minutes of this increased the uh, serotonin and dopamine levels. And you can, Explain all that as much as if you'd taken a Xanax or a Prozac. So that's the exercise and it's the outdoor adventures, getting outside where the unpredictable things about how you're walking, the weather, all those things are an important part of that healing process too. And I know that's a big part of the program you have. You encourage people, you get them out there. That's adventures and training with a purpose. Um, but, you know, as you and I know, some people just aren't motivated. They're, they're filled with excuses. They want to hang on to the old ways. They're afraid to let go of their trauma and their problems. So a couple parts of this, how do you motivate someone and 
how do you get people to shake free and let go of their past and stop hurting themselves? And here, I want you to tell the story about your dog. Right. I had a, uh, we, we, my wife <laughs> about four months ago said, I think I'd like to have a puppy. And I looked at her and I thought, she looks like my wife, but I don't know who, did she really say that? Anyway, we have a, we have a three month old puppy now. Uh, and so I've always, you know, I've always had a dog. And so I went, I'm in grade school. I was in the fourth grade and uh, I got this, uh, he was half German shepherd and half collie, neatest dog you've ever seen. And we're walking across a big pasture in Oklahoma and it was in the morning and there was a bobcat out there. And this dog was about two years old, just feeling his oats. And the bobcat takes off and Major caught him. And that was an epic fight. It was an epic fight. And it took about 10 or 15 minutes because it was Bob and Weave and finally got a hold of him. And he shook that bobcat so hard he killed it. And I thought that's cool. But then what happened was that he carried that bobcat around for a week. And and if he set it down and you just walked over and nudged that bobcat just a little bit, he would run over there, jump on it, I mean, pounce on it and start shaking it like it was just the first minute of the battle that he was reliving or something. I don't know. But he would, anyway, I just, I finally had to go bury the thing because it was nothing but just, there was guts hanging out of it after a while. My mother was hollering at me. He would carry that uh, bobcat around as his, um, I don't know, I, I, I don't speak dog, but, but it kind of as his uh, uh, Super Bowl ring, perhaps, you know, that he had, you know, he, he, he still had to live in that moment. He couldn't move on. So that was his championship game, but it also relates to when we have had difficulties in our lives. Sometimes we keep playing the battle over and over and over again. We don't let go of it because somehow we get meaning in our life from our own trauma. And But what you also did is you provided help. I, I refer, you mentioned my book before, and one of the things I say about my book, The Christ Cured, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD, I, was, I refer to it as a guide as a handbook for the broken and those who love them. Because sometimes a loved one has to say, I'm going to help you move forward. And that's going to help you let go. In this case, you helped Major get rid of the bobcat, but it's that nudging forward. There's another thing I want to mention too here. You often quote Jeremiah 12.5 about racing with men. And it's a, it's a wonderful example of how to, um, well, how to prepare yourself for, for battles to come. Could you talk about that and how that fits in with your model of fitness and exercise? It, it, yeah, and I think even in your book, Christ, you, you're the, the theme of your book is, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul. If anybody should be um, depressed, it should have been him. How many times was he beaten? How many times was he shipwrecked? How many times did he go a day and a night without food? Or he was without sleep. To me, Jeremiah 12, 5 uh, connects, well, with a lot of stuff. But in Hebrews 12, in the New Testament, Hebrews 12, just verses 5 through 11, um, Paul uses the word discipline nine times. So do you think the topic may be something about discipline? And he, he says in verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But then he says, 
but for those who have been trained by it. And I don't think we have the mindset that these things happen to us, discipline happens to us here. There's no pain in heaven. Uh, you know, discipline happens here. Why? For training. Okay. For training, for improvement, so that we grow. Now, if you're an athlete, then the next question is, well, how far? How long? How much? I mean, athletes keep records. The longest football winning streak uh, is University of Oklahoma, 47 games in a row. People are always trying to jump higher, run faster. So how fast do we go? And Jeremiah 12, 5, God sets the, he sets the bar there. And he says, if you, I, I love it. He sets the bar from a physical standpoint and he sets the bar from a mental, emotional standpoint, because he says, if you've run with men and they wore you out, how do you expect to compete with horses? Well, I think the obvious answer is, well, you can't, but then yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, you just get out there and you start running and you finally, that horse gets tired and you start running. I think there was a movie about that. And I can't remember who played in the movie, but the guy actually outran the horse because the horse got tired and fell over. So he said, and then the second part of that is that if you fall down in a time of peace, how will you stand up in the middle of the lions in the thickets of the Jordan? And so those two come together. So if we can't deal when things are going well, how are we going, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to stay when things aren't going well? You're right, Tim. That's my favorite verse because it, it sets the sights. Then the sights are set. Uh, you can outrun horses, but most people don't start, they don't get in the race. They don't put their shoes on. You know, they don't train, uh, like it says in Hebrews. And we, uh, we were a nation running around, worried about this, worried about that. I, I really, it scares me what would happen if we are really challenged now. Well, and that's why the lessons you learn, the lessons you teach for people to be disciplined, to keep working in this, because we know in our lives, we will face difficult times as an individual, as a family, as a community, as a nation. And if we cannot deal with things uh, and we don't train ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, we will have a tough time. John, I wish we could talk right. longer. These are exciting lessons you've taught us today. Uh, we could maybe do this another time as well. But I want to really thank you for being uh, part of this program today and uh, learning the lessons from a four-time Super Bowl champion who right now, quite frankly, I think some of the work you do, we do together with working with veterans and first responders and seeing how their lives turn around from one day coming in and feeling like suicidal, they can't make it through, the next day reawakening that part of them that made them heroes in the first place. Thank you so much for being with us today, John. I really appreciate it. God bless. I'm Dr. Tim Murphy. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please send them to me through my website, drtimmurphy.com. You can find more information about healing from trauma in my book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. I look forward to speaking with you next time.